Section 17 of Edmond Dantes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Manalakis. Edmond Dantes by Edmund Flagg. Chapter 16. A Notable Fate. On the night of Monday, February 21st, 1848, all Paris was at the house of M. Gautier de Rumilly in the Avenue des Champs-Élysées. M. Gautier de Rumilly was well known as one of the leaders of the extreme left, though the confidential friend of M. Odillon Barrault, and the fate was perfectly understood to be a political reunion rather than a social one. All the accompaniments of the most splendid society events of the season were in requisition. Even the brilliant balls given by the opulent citizens of New York were eclipsed in luxury and splendor. There was the streaming of lamps and chandeliers, the swell of enchanting music, the whirl of the fascinating polka, ridawa, or mazurka, while throngs of richly attired and lovely women were constantly enhancing the magnificence of the scene by their arrival. The brilliancy of the occasion was also richly diversified by the presence of an unusually large number of officers of the municipal and national guards in full uniform, as well as of several belonging to the line or the regiments of Algeria. It was about ten o'clock. Within, all was light, life, and loveliness. Without, the winter wind moaned drearily through the leafless trees of the boulevard, and the drifting sleet swept along the deserted streets. It was a wild night. Throughout all Paris seemed going forth a pretentious murmur, like that mysterious moaning of the ocean, which, with mariners, is the prelude of a storm. An ominous whispering, as of many voices, seemed to sink and swell on the sweeping night blast. Then all was still. Again, in the distance, would rise a sharp shout, or the stern, brief word of military command. At intervals, also, one might imagine he heard a deep rumbling, as of heavy ordnance and its tumbrils over the pavements, accompanied by the measured tread of armed men and the clattering hoofs of cavalry horses. Then these sounds died away, and along the narrow streets of Paris again the night wind only swept. The bitter blast howled, and the ominous whispering, as of spirits, rose and fell. It was a strange and stormy night, murky and chilly, while at intervals the cold rain dashed down in cutting blasts. But within the magnificent mansion of Gautier de Rumilly, all was light and loveliness, as has been said. The splendid salons were already thronged, yet crowds of richly attired guests were constantly arriving. "'Ah! Beauchamp, just come?' cried Chateau Renaud to his friend as he entered. "'By the grace of God, yes,' said the journalist. "'What a night!' "'What a throng of men and women, say rather,' was the reply. "'Very true. Who's here?' "'Ask who's not here, and your question may be easily answered. "'All Paris is here. Women of every age and station, "'and men of all political creeds, conservatives, dynastics, "'legitimists, republicans, and communists. "'Indeed, this soiree seems to me, "'and I shouldn't wonder if it were designed so to be, "'a general reunion of the leaders of all the great parties in France,' to compare notes and learn the news. And there is news enough to learn, it would seem. Is Monsieur Dantes here? He is, or was, and his beautiful wife, too, the most magnificent woman in Paris. Morel also is here with his fair bride. 
and who is that dark dignified man in the turkish costume around whom the ladies have clustered so inquisitively asked the deputy why that's the emir of algeria the famous captive of the duc d'aumal was the reply what abd el kadir how comes he here always oh, a special favor i suppose he has a respite from his sad prison what a splendid beard and what keen black eyes no his eyes are decidedly gray but so shaded by his extraordinary lashes that they seem black they say that he was more distinguished as a scholar in algeria than as a soldier statesman or priest in fact he is as erudite as an arab can be and his library which is contained in two leathern trunks accompanied him in all his wanderings prior to his submission and what think you really induced him to surrender himself policy of the deepest character and worthy of talleyrand metternich or nesselrode if we are to rely on the eloquent speech of lamoricier in the chamber the other day i remember bougot spoke first and lamoricier followed he thought that the arab courteous leaped into the gulf because by so doing he was convinced he could injure french interests more than by his freedom well perhaps he was right he bids fair to be a hard bone of contention between the opposition and the ministry. If I mistake not, the Morissier disclaimed all responsibility for accepting the surrender and placed it on the governor-general, the young duke, for whom the ministry is liable. Yes, and Guizot announced that he would send the emir back to Alexandria, could security be given against his return to Algeria. As to the emir's surrender, at which you wonder, the real cause is said to have been not policy, but the universal passion, love. He is an Antony, then, instead of a courteous. So it seems. At the moment when, with incredible efforts, he had effected the passage of the Moorish camp and was off like an ostrich for the desert, the firing of the French, who had reached his daira, struck his ear. Back he flew like a lamio. Twice his horse fell under him dead, twice he was surrounded and seized, and twice, by his wonderful agility, he regained his freedom. At last, perceiving that all was lost, he turned his face again toward the desert, and for two days and nights continued his flight. But his heart was behind him. Certain of escape himself, he preferred hopeless captivity with her he loved, and he returned. Quite poetical, on my word. Worthy of Saadi, the Arab Petrarch himself, said Chateau Renaud. He is decidedly a great man, that Abd el Kadir. They say he bears his misfortunes like a philosopher, or, better, a Turk, unalterably mild and dignified, while his wives and his mother wail at his feet. Every morning he reads the Koran to them, and during the orisons all the windows are open, and a large fire blazes in the center of the room. He is a decided godsend to the quidnooks of Paris. So would be a Hottentot or a North American savage, replied Beauchamp. "'Rather a different affair this from the ministerial soiree a week ago, I fancy,' remarked the editor. "'Rather. I will confess to you, Beauchamp, I attended that soiree from curiosity to see whether Monsieur Guizot retained his habitual placidity of manner amid the clouds every day thickening around him.' "'And what was the result?' "'Why this. He was as polite and courteous as ever, and the same cold, imperturbable smile was on his thin lip.' but he looked careworn, and upon his countenance was an expression of solicitude, when it was closely watched, which I never saw there before. Ah, Beauchamp, I envy not the premier. 
"'And the guests?' asked the journalist. "'Of guests there were but few, "'and the spacious salons of the Hôtel d'Affaires Etrangères "'looked dismal and deserted. "'The lovely Countess Levin? "'Even she was absent. "'And the Countess of Dino? "'Absent, too. "'The soiree must have been, indeed, dull "'without those charming queens of intrigue, "'as Louis Blanc courteously calls them. "'But tell me, Count,' Is the minister really the husband of the beautiful Levin, or is she only his paramour? No one knows. It is certain, however, that the great man devotes to the enchantress every moment he can steal from the state, though to look at him one would hardly suppose him a lover, in any meaning of the term. But who knows? To read his writings, can one imagine a purer man? But then the affairs of Guisquet, Cubieres, Test, and last and worst Pettit, whose case was before the chamber, do they not betray deplorable lack of firmness or morality? But no more of this. Who is that dark, splendid woman to whom young Joliet seems so devoted? I have seen them together before. Why, you surely have not forgotten Louise d'Armely, the charming cantatrice. She has recently left the boards to the irreparable loss of the opera, having come into possession of an immense inheritance, some millions, it is said, left by her father, who was once a banker of Paris. She is asserted to be very accomplished and very ambitious, and as the young African paladin is thoroughly bewitched by her, and she by him, they will doubtless be matched as well as paired. Has Lucien been here? asked the deputy, after a pause, during which the young men surveyed the brilliant throngs that passed before them, and returned the salutations of their acquaintances. I think not. We have not met, at least, replied the journalist. He can hardly be spared tonight, I fancy. The ministry have had a stormy day, and are, doubtless, preparing for one still more stormy tomorrow. There was a perfect tempest in the chamber this evening, I understand. Call it rather a hurricane, a tornado. Ah, give me the particulars. Here, come with me into this corner. Unfortunately, I was not present. I was busy on the general committee for the banquet of the 12th arrondissement, tomorrow, at Chalot. To avoid all possibility of collusion with the police, we resolved, you know, not to have the banquet within the walls of Paris, and so there is to be a procession to the Barrière de l'Etoile. I have been there since morning, and reached the city only in time to come here. So you see, I am edifyingly ignorant of the latest news. Then I have to inform you that there is to be no banquet after all. No banquet! Why, I thought it was compromised between Guizot and Barreau that the banquet should be allowed to proceed under protest, in order that the question might be brought before the Supreme Court. Such was the purpose, but a manifesto of the banquet committee, drawn up by Marast, it is said, and at all events issued in Le National this morning, declaring the design not only of a banquet, but of a procession, changed everything. The address sets forth that all invited to the banquet would assemble at the Place de la Madeleine tomorrow at about noon, and thence, escorted by the National Guard and accompanied by the students of the universities, should proceed by the Place de Concorde to the Arc de Triomphe at the extremity of the Avenue de Champs-Élysées, and thence to the immense pavilion on the grounds of General Chien. Only one toast, reform and the right to assemble, was announced to be drunk and then a commissary of police could enter a formal protest against the whole proceeding on the spot on which to base a legal prosecution, and the multitude would disperse. 
a very sensible mode of procedure quietly remarked the journalist and one eminently calculated to relieve your friend guizot and my friend barreau from the awkward dilemma of a direct issue but so thought not my friend guizot like his oracle the sage montesquieu he, he thought who assembles the people causes them to revolt he took fright at the manifesto as he was pleased to dignify the simple program in this morning's national and so early in the sitting it was announced that the reform banquet was utterly prohibited by monsieur de lesser prefect of police on the express injunction and responsibility of, of monsieur du chatel minister of the interior by with the advice of monsieur hebert minister of justice ha and what said odilon barreau cried the journalist he why he said nothing at all but immediately retired at the head of the opposition from the chamber to consult of course an hour after they returned in a body two hundred and fifty strong with barreau at their head who at once mounted the tribune and denounced the despotism of the ministry in forbidding the peaceful assembling of the citizens without tumult or arms to discuss their political rights Duchatel replied under great excitement shall reform committees dare to call out the national guard at their pleasure he asked will you dare to call out the national guard retorted de Courtais fiercely only try it the government of france will never yield rejoined the minister pale with fury speak in your own name monsieur shouted flocon i shall never speak in yours was the answer you play the game of menace cried lesseps the government will never yield again vociferated duchatel those were the very words of charles x observed monsieur dantes sternly the entire left responded in a terrific roar there is blood in those words shouted ledru rollin the government will never yield the minister of the interior for the third time vehemently exclaimed and the right gathered around him this is worse than polignan or baronnet vociferated adion barreau his trumpet tones rising above all others like a clarion in a tempest those hated names were greeted by a yell of abhorrence perfectly savage from the left then all was uproar a dozen voices simultaneously shouting at their loudest denunciation menace defiance retort clenched hands extended arms furious gesticulations everyone on tiptoe fiery eyes stamping feet shouts of order 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 and amid all the incessant tinkling of old Sauzet's little silver bell which was just about as effective in restoring peace as it would be to quiet the tempest now howling through the streets of paris at length in utter consternation and dismay the old president put on his hat and pronouncing the seance ended rushed from his chair amid a hurricane of uproarious shouts and odilon barreau odilon barreau led the opposition members immediately from the chamber to his own house where they have been ever since in deliberation it was six o'clock when the sitting closed and they must be in consultation now or barreau would surely be here if but for a moment out of respect to his bosom friend our host ah there he is just entering surrounded by a perfect army of republicans de Cortet, marast lesseps duvergier flacon lamartine dupont and a whole host besides how excited they look exclaimed the journalist ah tears approaches them from the other end of the salon monsieur tears like the worldly wise and selfish man he is has held himself aloof from the banquet and even declined the invitation accepted by a hundred of his party. Today he was absent from the chamber, and tonight from the conclave. 
all with the aspiring yet vain hope that the king will send for him to form a ministry. And yet, in the chamber, a few days ago, he said that he was of the party of the revolution in Europe. True, but he added that he wished the revolution carried on by its moderate supporters, and that he should do all he could to keep it in the hands of the moderate party. But if it should pass into the hands of a party not moderate, continued the crafty ex-minister, I shall not abandon the cause of the revolution. I shall be always of the party of the revolution. But see, he singles out Marast of all the others. And his old colleague of Le National seems to give him no very cordial reception, added the deputy. But let us move up and hear the determination of the opposition relative to the banquet. That's the very question the little historian has just propounded to the great journalist. Now for the answer. The opposition decide, monsieur, to abandon the banquet, was the angry reply of the editor to the ex-minister. Indeed, was the bland rejoinder. And has a manifesto of this decision been issued to the people? It has, and it instantly called forth a counter-manifesto from the electoral committee of the 12th arrondissement, expressing very natural astonishment that, at the same time, the opposition abandoned the banquet, if they had not abandoned their seats in the chamber, and inviting them so to do at once. And the ministry, anxiously asked Monsieur Thiers, will tomorrow be impeached, Monsieur? Ah, indeed, indeed, cried the smart little aspirant, gleefully rubbing his hands. At that moment, General Morsier, the brother-in-law of Thiers, who owed so much to the house of Orléans, hastily approached. "'I come straight from the Tuileries,' he said with considerable excitement. "'General Jacquemineau has just issued an order of the day as commander-in-chief of the National Guard, appealing to them as the constitutional protectors of the throne to take no part in the banquet. Orders have also been issued for the rappel to be beaten at dawn. In the quartier Saint-Honoré, the scene of the contemplated procession,' but it's all folly to rely on the National Guard. They are of the people. Only the Municipal Guard and the troops of the line can be relied on in the civil conflict, which is sure to come tomorrow. And the ministers, what do they? asked Thiers. Oh, they are not idle, replied the soldier. The Bastilles are armed, and those of Montrouge and Aubervilles are provisioned. The horse artillery at Vincennes are ready on the instant to gallop into the capital. Seventy additional pieces of ordnance are now entering the barrières. The municipal guard are supplied with ball cartridges. The troops concentrated at sunrise tomorrow will not be less than one hundred thousand strong. With these men in the forts and faithful, the city can be starved in three days, National Guard and all, if rebellious. Now is the crisis in which to test the remarkable admission of Monsieur Duchatel in May, 45, that the Bastilles of Paris were designed to fortify order. We shall see, we shall see. And the Marshal Duke of Islay, where is he? quietly asked Marast, with a significant shrug and smile. At this mention of his bitter foe, a frown lowered on the fine face of Mercier as he briefly and sternly replied, With the king, monsieur. General Bougot is with the king, but they mistake, monsieur. Eugène Cavanier is the man for this emergency. Bougot is a soldier, a mere soldier. Cavanier is a statesman, a Napoleon. Paris will discriminate between the two one day, and that shortly. And with an abrupt military salute, the conqueror of Algeria walked away, followed by his little brother-in-law, who seemed yet shorter and more insignificant at the side of his towering and graceful form. At the same moment, 
Ledru Roland entered in great agitation, and having glanced hastily around, as if in search of someone in the assemblage, advanced straight to the journalist and grasped his hand. "'By the heavens, Armand, I think the hour is arrived!' "'Whence do you come?' was the quick question. "'From the boulevards where I left Flocon, Louis Blanc, and Monsieur Dantes, with the people. "'I tell you, Armand, the people are ripe, ripe! "'The ministerial ordinances prohibiting the banquet have kindled a flame wherever they have gone. "'The pitiful manifesto of the opposition and the counter-manifesto of the twelfth arrondissement "'have only served to fan this flame into fury. "'It has been our care to restrain and direct, not to excite. "'It is dark and cold without, Armand.' The winter wind howls dismally along the streets. The sleet freezes as it falls, and the furious blast almost extinguishes the torches by which, at the corners and at the cafés, the different manifestos of the day are being read to the eager throngs, on whose faces, in the flare of the blood-red light, can be perceived the fury of their hearts. The people at length are ripe. Tomorrow all Paris will be in arms. While they drew Roland was thus speaking, Louis Blanc entered and quietly approached, courteously saluting his acquaintances on his way, and stopping to exchange a few words with Madame Dantes, who inquired with considerable anxiety for her husband. "'I have this moment left him, madame,' said Louis Blanc. "'Be assured, he is safe and well. Ah, how glorious to be an object of solicitude to one like you,' he added with a smile. The lady smiled also, and offered an appropriate jest in reply to the gallantry of the distinguished author, as he moved on to join his friends. End of section 17